Alright, we have been in a long, slow hike in the Gospel of John. We're only on chapter 2. We've been hiking through John for a long time. The reason is, is because in chapter 1, there's a lot of stuff we need to know. He introduces every single idea and truth that he given us to the time in the rest of the story. Um, we'll read our passage here in just a second, but I just want to remind us that what we have learned so far, we have learned that, that uh, Jesus is the God-human. He is God come to us, God expressing himself to us. He's the word of God, he's the light of God, the light of God, he's also holy God himself. Jesus is God. But Jesus is also a human being. He's fully human. He is just like us. He's not half human, he's not kind of human, he's totally human being. He's the God human. And we learned that that's glorious. And the whole idea is that God, through Jesus, the God human, is showing us his glory. He's connecting heaven and earth. Eternal and final. He's uh, doing the Jacob's ladder thing. Link between heaven and earth. And he shows us these things through signs. That's when we saw the first sign. Jesus turning water into wine. Right? And it was awesome. This week we see another sign. You ready to read it? Stand. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. And others were sitting at, at tables exchanging money. So, he made a whip. A whip out of cords. And he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who, who sold the doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what would be each person. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so two questions. What's going on in the story? What's happening? And why does it matter for us? Hope Presbyterian Church, Portland, Oregon, McGuire Auditorium, right now, and so on. So what is going on? What is Jesus doing? This is obviously super different than water into wine uh, type Jesus behavior that we just saw. What is he doing? What's going on? Um, and then why does this matter for us? What are we supposed to do? Let's start with what's going on. Okay? Alright. Well, first it says that this is, is that it was the time for the Jewish Passover. Right? Anybody that bring images to your mind? Bible reading people? Uh, Jewish people still celebrate Passover. It's a huge deal uh, in Jewish practice, in Jewish culture, in Jewish belief. Passover is the festival uh, when Jewish people celebrate God uh, delivering them out of slavery, out of Egypt. When God did that, each family sacrificed a lamb and put blood over the door. And on the night that uh, the angel of death went through Egypt, bringing that last plague, the death of the first one, the angel would see the blood on the leaving households and pass over them, right? And spare the lives of everyone there. And that's how we do this evening. So it's time to celebrate that. This is the biggest feast in the Jewish calendar. Happens uh, once a year. And Jews came from all over Judea, they came from all over Galilee, which was in the north. They came from all over the, the, the world where Jewish people lived. They traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. And Jesus says he went up to Jerusalem with his disciples. That's because Jerusalem was high in elevation. So he goes up. Sort of like if you go up to Mount Hood, you go up, right? So they go up to Jerusalem. Now we see this happen at least three times. We see this happened three times in John's Gospel. Three times in John's Gospel, Jesus goes with his disciples up to Jerusalem for Passover. Each time marks a very significant event in the story. Makes sense. Passover is a big deal. So when John tells us Jesus is going up to Passover, pay close attention. Also, the last time Jesus goes up to Passover with his disciples in the Gospel of John is when Jesus ends up getting arrested and crucified. And the way that John the Gospel writer frames that last Passover story, he frames it in such a way where Jesus, we see that Jesus himself is the Passover man. Jesus is the one who dies so that our lives can be saved. We'll get to that when we get to near the end of John's Gospel. But for now, I want you to see Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for Passover. We get this lamb uh, sacrifice thing in mind. And we know our gospel writer, we know John, we know how seriously the text is. So we're tuning in. Okay? So it says Jesus goes up to Passover, they go to the temple, and what do they find? They go into the temple and they find people, verse 14, selling animals and changing money. Now, there were very, very strict rules that regulated how the people of God are supposed to worship during this time. 
We can read about those rules in the Old Testament. You can look at Leviticus. In fact, it's kind of hard for us to read sometimes because there is so many rules. But when the people of God in this time went to go worship, it was very, very clear what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to do it. Uh, a big part of that worship was animal sacrifice. Now for us, uh, uh, postmodern Western people, it can be hard to wrap our minds around. But this was part of their culture. And we've got to remember, this is something that God instituted. So when a family went up to Jerusalem for Passover, they went and they went to worship, they planned on sacrificing an animal. Now, sometimes bulls uh, were sacrificed, sometimes it was lambs, and sometimes it was doves. Now, bulls and lambs were used for different kinds of sacrifices. Passover time, lambs were a really big deal. The dove is sort of, it's, it's, that's, you, let's point that out. The dove, people, people sacrificed doves uh, because they were poor. It's actually a provision made by God in those long instructions about worship in Leviticus. He gives all these instructions about like, bring your bull, bring your lamb. They have to be spotless, they have to be perfect, it has to be your best one. Bring it to the sacrifice. And well, if you're poor, can't afford a bull or a lamb, you can bring it down. The doves were readily available. That's pretty awesome. That shows something about God's character. Not everybody be able to come and worship him. It's cool that in the, uh, in the, uh, is it the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke, where Mary and Joseph go up to have Jesus circumcised, they bring an offering of what? Doves. Right? Okay, so they go into the temple and they see people selling animals. Now the reason animals were sold around Passover time is because families were traveling from all over the world and instead of taking your best lamb from your home like a hundred miles away and traveling and trying to make sure the lamb didn't sprain its ankle or get sick or have something happen to it on the way or it wouldn't be able to be sacrificed, you can just leave your lambs at home and you can buy a really good lamb in Jerusalem. It's sort of like when my grandparents used to go on road trips, they had to pack lunches. Right? Well, when I went on road trips with my parents, we didn't pack lunches. We just stopped and got food on the way, right? It's more convenient. Well, that's why. So here's what happened in Jerusalem. Over time in Jerusalem, during this Passover feast, when people were traveling from all over the world, uh, the, the Jerusalem religious establishment, priests, Levites, the scribes, all those people, the church people, they started facilitating, sanctioning the sale of bulls and lambs there in Jerusalem, in the market, so pilgrims could come and make their purchase. That's pretty cool. But it says here that Jesus showed up in that market had been moved into the temple square. That's not good. It used to take place in the marketplace, now it's taking place in the actual temple. Ooh. And then it says that people were exchanging money, exchanging money on tables. I don't know if you've ever been, uh, traveled to a different country and had to go to like a bank or somewhere in an airport and get your money exchanged. 
we paying them you know, American dollars and you know, Canadian dollars or whatever. That's the kind of thing that was happening here. Because people were coming from all over the world. And people, just like we did earlier, they want to go to the temple, they want to get their offering. They want to get their time. But there are the things going on in the world. Not just the known ones at the time. Look at Rome. And the only point is the image of Caesar on them. They also had the image of idols on them. And a lot of them were made from impure silver. And the people of God were like, hey, we shouldn't bring coins with the image of Caesar or false gods or impure metals to the temple. Can we exchange that to some just some coins and make pure silver that don't have Caesar's face? They started doing that thing, that's a beautiful thing. But here, they moved that money changing system out from the market or away from the airport customs office. Moved it into the temple. But Jesus walks into the temple with his disciples. And there are cattle, and there are sheep, and there are people with bird cages selling doves, and there are money changers. Can you imagine? What it was like. Kids, can you imagine what it was like if you showed up in this room today and there was a bunch of cows in here? What would it smell like? That's exactly right. You gotta watch where you step too. What would it sound like in here if this was have you ever been to an open air marketplace? Or maybe down by the waterfront during the summer? I remember when I was a kid all the time in the world or something. You guys ever been to, is it quiet? Quiet when people are, maybe in Seattle, Pike Place Market, they're like throwing fish around. Is it quiet? No. Wow. Chaotic. And you got people counting money. And you got people selling doves. Now what were doves supposed to be used for? Therapy. And they're selling them right alongside the sheep and the cows. Now, Jesus, uh, I don't know if it's fair for us to say, I want to be calling this his only careful thing that Jesus got mad. But he doesn't say that. Maybe I imagine you know what I think he did. It doesn't say that, so I don't know. But it does say that Jesus did something about it. But can you, why did Jesus act the way he did? Well, if we ourselves were to go to Jerusalem on Passover, to worship on Passover. And we walked into that temple court. And we experienced the cattle and the sheep and the manure and the money changing. What would it be like for us? Did you guys know that the temple, the way it was set up, the outer court was called the court of the Gentiles. And unless somebody here from the Jewish heritage, that's as far in as any of us would be able to go home. Court of the Gentiles was a place in the temple where anybody could come in and worship. It was supposed to be an inclusive, all access. You can come, you can pray to Yahweh, you can seek Yahweh, you can ask questions of the priests and Levites, you can learn about the one true God. Jews and Gentiles could worship together. Also a place where kids could come in. Also a place where men and women could come in together. The further you got into the temple, the more exclusive it became. 
In the next court hand, only Jewish people can go. Next court hand, only men can go. And the temple workers. And then there was this holy place where only priests can go. And then there was the most holy place where only one priest can go only once a year. And why was it set up like that? Because oh, God had told them to set it up. For that time and place. But this outer court it helps us to see how special it is. We read our Bibles and we know that, that we'll read next chapter in John chapter 3. We'll, we'll read how Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We know that God is the God of the whole world, not just Israel. So this court of the Gentiles, it was so important. It was so holy, so special. And it was in that court that we find the marketplace. That we find the selling and the screaming and the bartering and the manure and the money changing and the selling drugs. The whole thing. So Jesus walks in. And what does he do? He picks up a rope. It's not hard to find if there's a bunch of livestock around. Great like Jesus is often in Old Western. He walks in, he looks around, he picks up a rope, he starts to drag it, he goes to the disciples room. Oh no. And then you hear that. Tumbleweed goes by. He picks up a whip and what does he do? He starts putting the things. It says that he drives out the cattle and the sheep. It says that he goes over, and you just see him taking his Maybe he's helping. He's taking his arm and clearing the table of all the coins and flipping it over. The money changer steps back. Whoa! Coins go all over the floor. They're rolling around. Cattle and sheep are going every direction. It's loud. It's chaos. Jesus is just walking around. That's what's happening to you. It's interesting that he points to the dove cages and says, that one, he says, stop turning my father's house into a mountain. He was telling his dove to cry. What we see here is that the people of God started practicing a kind of, a kind of ethnic of the Israel. Who cares about the Gentiles? I don't care if they have to come in here and try to pray next to a cow. Try to pray next to, next to a money changer, barter with somebody. Who cares about them? It's for me. This is for the people of God. We're going to go right into, through the gate into the exclusive VIP plan. Also, they have an economic community. Who cares about the poor people? Hey, the church is a business too. We've got we to pay for this stuff. Go ahead and mark the dust. Just terrible stuff. No wonder Jesus picked up the word. Okay, remember how at the beginning of the gospel, in chapter one, we see how the gospel writer he mentions how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, John the Baptist says he's the one on whom the Holy Spirit rests. And we saw that in the gospel, John is showing us that Jesus is anointed, which prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, and kings were anointed. 
He talks all about how it's helpful to see Jesus through those lenses. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the king. That's what he's doing here. Well, I think it's helpful for us to look at this simple prayer with snapping event. Also through those lenses. Think about what Jesus was doing if he's acting like a prophet in that moment. He walks into the temple and he starts to enact a like a like a performance piece sermon. You think about the prophet Ezekiel. That guy did all kinds of dramatic stuff in order to make to get points across to the people of God. Amos or Isaiah. They didn't just use words, they used actions to preach. Jesus is preaching a sermon with his actions. He's showing that this court of the Gentiles matters to them. He's showing that all people matter to God, that access matters to God. He's showing that God has no patience for the kind of elitism or injustice that was happening there. He's showing that God has no patience for profaning a holy place like they were. He goes in and he is declaring the statement of God, of who God is. Just like the prophets in the Old Testament. He wants the worship to be pure. He wants the people to repent and to believe. And also, Jesus, you see Jesus, he's acting, this is like a priestly thing that he's doing. Let's look at it. What is Jesus doing if we see him as a priest? Well, you don't, do you know who the first priest in the Bible is? Somebody guess. Moses? No, but that's a good guess. First priest in the Bible? First one. I'll give you a hint. He shows up on like the first page of the Bible. Noah? Close. Before him. Yes! Adam was the first priest in the Bible. And you know where the temple was that Adam was supposed to be a priest in? The garden. That's why God told Adam. He told Adam that he wants you to keep the garden, to test the garden, to work the garden. He was telling Adam the garden was a place where God came to commune with his people. Because he walked through the garden in the cool of the day. The garden was his house in the world. And he told Adam, You protect this place. You keep this place. You proclaim my word. Tell the people they could eat from any tree except for this one. Did Adam do good at that priestly job? No. He failed. He failed to protect the temple when it was uh, profaned by a liar, a serpent. He failed to say, no, that's not true. He failed to kick the serpent out. He failed to protect God's people from the serpent's lies. Well, here we see Jesus walking into the temple, doing what Adam should have done. He's acting like a better priest. He's protecting that place from liars. Liars who say you've got to pay to pray. Liars who say you've got to be uh, this way in order to get access to God. He goes in there and he kicks them out. He protects the holiness. He's acting like a better Adam, a better priest. We also see Jesus not just doing a prophet thing, not just doing a priest thing, but doing a king thing. 
There's this thing that his disciples remember. He said, they remember the scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. Well, those are the words of King David, and they come from Psalm 69. And the disciples are going, but Jesus did here, zeal for your house will consume you. That reminds us of King David, the thing that he wrote. King, let, me, let me tell you something about that. King David uh, longed to build a temple. He wanted so bad to build a house for God. At that time, uh, the temple was still a tent. He wanted to make a brick and mortar established uh, building that could be the temple. It, that desire burned in his heart. He prayed and prayed and prayed. Lord, please let me do it. And God said, look, you are not going to do it, but your son Solomon is. So David, he spent the last years that he had as king gathering materials for the temple. He spent his last years drawing plans for the temple and instructing his son Solomon how Solomon would lead the temple building campaign after David died. David's passion for building the temple went all the way to his death because he had to die so his son Solomon could do it. Zeal, David wrote, zeal for your house will consume me. I will be passionate about this until the day I die. I will go to my grave preparing my son to build this place. That's what David wrote in that verse in Psalm 69. The disciples are saying, Jesus is like King David in that moment. What's interesting though is when they quote the verse from Psalm 69 which says, zeal for your house will consume me, they change it. They change it to, uh, sorry, David said, zeal for your house consumes me, is consuming me, has consumed me. And they changed it to, zeal for your house will, future tense, consume me. They're looking at Jesus and saying, this is like David, but he's got the death part coming in the future. David died preparing this temple thing. We see in Jesus here what he's starting this temple, purity, passion, protecting, preaching thing. This is going to be Jesus' death. You see that? That's significant. Um, I think that's why uh, you know, we see the, the, the people that John refers to as the Jews. Uh, they come to Jesus and say, what life do you have to do with and that conflict that starts there, it goes all the way through the gospel, all the way to Jesus' death. And that's also why Jesus said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and I will uh, rebuild it in three days. Jesus in that moment starts himself associating his actions with his coming death. So, what's happening? Passover, he walks in, there's this terrible thing happen. He picks up a whip, he goes in the prophet priest kingdom, and he starts clearing house. Now, let's take a moment and this, two more things that's happening here. This statement, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again, and the type of thing speaking of his body. Jesus here starts making a claim. He starts speaking in a double way. He starts referring to the temple as his body. Now, that should stand out to us. And it confuses his readers, right? 
But if we've been studying John's Gospel now for like 13 weeks, and we've talked all about how Jesus is God human, he's the link between heaven and earth, he's Jacob's ladder, he's the glory of God among us, he's the place where God is humanity come together. So it really shouldn't surprise us when Jesus starts referring to himself as temple. Because temple for the Jewish people, that was the place where they worshiped God, they saw God's glory, where they experienced heaven and earth coming together. But we should just notice that here Jesus starts uh, conflating the language. That's important for us. But there's one more thing going on there. Jesus isn't just doing the prophet priest king thing. He's not just introducing this idea that he is temple. There's one more thing going on. We read in the book of Malachi earlier in the service this passage that was written before the Jewish exile before the people were scattered to Babylon and all over the world, before God's glory departed from the first temple, we read this prophecy from the prophet Malachi. That one day, God's going to come to his temple in a whole new way. The people are going to see his glory in a whole new fashion. And when that happens, God's going to change the hearts of the people around him. God's going to confront injustice. He's going to purify hearts. And he's going to make everything new. But here in this place, that's what Jesus is doing. It's not just our man, prophet, priest, and king. He's our God. Coming into his house in a whole new way. So this is a huge deal. This is not just a passing story in John's Gospel. This is major. Big word, this is eschatological. This is like any kind of God is coming to his people, and like Malachi said, he's going to come with a refining fire. He's going to come with long rivers of soap, clean, purified. That's what Jesus is doing. So, that's what's happening. Okay. What should we do about it? Well, we have very little time, so I'll just say this very directly. Everybody okay? We can take a break or don't let it happen. I think I might go a little longer. Uh, what should we do about it? Well, here's, here's the thing. Uh, I had started hearing this story when I was a kid. If you grew up in church, Maybe you need to have some kids. Maybe your kids there you now, right? Um, and if you stay in church, you're probably going to hear the story a lot. This is a familiar story about Jesus. And it's very common for us as Jesus' people when we hear stories like this to imagine ourselves in it. That's the good. Here's the same thing. I think we normally and very often in stories like this, church folks, Imagine ourselves as Jesus' disciples, just like as a third party watching the temple. Maybe we'll see too soon. But I don't think that's how God wants us to hear it. Also, it's very common for us church people to hear this and associate ourselves with like the temple itself. Associate our church, replace the temple with like Oak Park Center. And that's, that can be good too. There's a reason we don't sell merch in the lobby, right? 
I think that there's, there's something there and that's good. I don't think that that's where God wants us to really get hit by this today. Jesus is a opponent in the story. People who question him, who challenge him. John refers to them as the Jews. Right? He refers to Jesus as opponent throughout the book as the Jews. Quick footnote, just so you know. Uh, in the Greek, it says the Judeans. And John is referring to the Jerusalem-based Jewish religious establishment. These are Pharisees, priests, Levites, scribes, Sadducees. These are the religious elite. He is not referring to Jewish people in general. That's important because a lot of people have thought that and then used these kind of texts to support anti-Semitism. We don't do that. That gets us in the kind of trouble that Jesus will come to Okay? So, the Judeans. Now, I think we need to see ourselves as Here's one. The Jewish religious establishment, Pharisees, Sadducees, the priests, and the Levites, very often we just see these people as the enemies of Jesus in this country. But in reality, do you know who these people were? There were people who loved God. There were people who wanted to see God worshipped in God's house in Jerusalem. There were people who wanted the scriptures to shape the culture around them. There were people who wanted to see God's people flourish in an ever-increasing pagan society. These are people who love their kids, who love their families. These are people who care so deeply about the truth that they found in their Bibles that they were willing to argue for. These people are more like us than we probably care to remember. They're also people that took the worship that God had facilitated in His Word, the opportunity to worship, and they were always trying to find ways to streamline it, to make it easier. To make it better, to profit from it, to make it more comfortable, to make it fit in. I can't tell you how many times serving the ministry for years on this planet for the day. You know, church is a good person. I can't tell you how many times I've sat around a church meeting and heard. You know, we, you know, this is really good. We need, we really need to streamline this. What's up our brain? How do we make this fit? When we start to take the instructions that God has given us for worship, when we start to tweak them to fit a way that just makes us, you know what, let's just move the market into the outer court. It's easier. You could just show up, you could just get all of your stuff, and then you go right into where it's quiet. What about the Gentiles? Well, no, last time I checked, they were pretty pagan. Last time I checked, the culture was going to hell in a handbag. Last time I checked, uh, we, we need to look out for our own. I Economic needs things? Ethnic needs things? Most churches in our denomination exist in the middle 
Now, I don't bring all that up to shame in you. Because I'm part of it. What if God showed up to our church like the prophet now has talked about? What if he showed up in his presence in a whole new way? What if he did it that way? What if here in just a moment we just got an overwhelming sense of the presence of God? He started doing things in our hearts. You think he'd come with refiner's fire and wanderer's soap? Think he'd come with wood? Now let me tell you something about the gospel. In this story, Jesus picked up the wood. He was walking around cleaning the house. Got the Christian king, God himself. The opponents of Jesus in this story. Is he with any of them? We read about him openly shaming any of them. It's a bunch of them. There's only one person in this story who ends up getting whipped. And it's Jesus himself. On Passover. Three years from now. He didn't deserve anything. He got ripped in the place of everybody else that deserved it. And he wanted us to get off stuff free and receive grace instead of judgment. So what he tells these people when he says, you destroyed this temple and I'll raise it back up, he's not just saying, watch me, I'll die and rise from the dead to prove that I'm right. He's saying this, watch me. I'm going to go down with this whole thing that you are destroying right now. And I'm going to raise up and I'm going to bring you to Don't shame. Don't scourge him. Just a crumb. Lying in him. And rising in him. You know one of the things I love about the cross of Malachi? He says that people are going to worship God righteously, justly. And those are the same people that used to say, even if you're a Well, here's the point, and we'll wrap it up. That market in the court of the Gentiles felt pretty normal to the people of God. They had not been used to it. And Jesus walked in, and he couldn't pass. Time for us to start thinking about how Jesus is walking into our church. Wherever we come to the world, we need to take 